0: Amen. Let's go to the Word of God tonight. God's got some stories He wants us to understand. There's such a spirit of victory in this house, I think, that this lesson is going to be very applicable. And our brother Luke uh, writes to us about some spiritual dynamics. He tells us three stories in chapter 19 that have an impact uh, in the Holy Spirit. So uh, we start in Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that's Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. This is our first story that Luke is telling us about. And it's a spiritual dynamic about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, what we want to do is make sure that we get our doctrine correct, our theology correct. And so when we read this story, Luke gives us some input. He says, Apollos, do you remember Apollos? We studied him last week. Apollos is still in Corinth. Apollos had come from Ephesus To Corinth. And you remember who taught him? Who instructed Apollos in Priscilla and Aquila? Because Apollos had a problem, didn't he? Apollos was quite astute in the Old Testament scriptures and about the Messiah coming, but he never heard about the resurrection of Jesus. He only knew what? John's baptism. So now we fast forward to Ephesus where Apollos was and we see 12 people meeting Paul and Paul said, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed?" And they said what? No, no. What's a holy what's a holy spirit? <laughs> and so he recognizes something something's not lining up. Because when do you receive the Holy Spirit? When you accept Jesus Christ. okay? The Holy Spirit comes into the believer's life when we accept what Christ did on the cross for our sins and receive him as Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit comes in. Now these guys didn't receive the Holy Spirit, so he has to ask the question, uh, how are you saved? What baptism are you of? And their response? John the Baptist. Now, I'm putting two and two together. This sounds like Apollos, who was teaching at Ephesus all he knew, and then went and found out about Christ as still a major, uh, wonderful preacher, but now he knows the full story. So Paul runs into some of his disciples who were disciples of John the Baptist. So all they knew was that John the Baptist had come, He's telling Israel, repent, because Messiah is coming. But they didn't know about the Messiah, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the work of salvation, our faith in Christ Jesus. You know, you can go to all sorts of different religious activities and places that teach good and nice things. But if you have not put your faith in the work of the cross, you will not be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people that go to churches that have never received Christ. They sit in churches and hear about Him, but never have put their faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. So when you do, we put our faith in Christ Jesus, believing He died for our sins, the work of Christ. Death, burial, resurrection, removes our sinful nature, takes us out of Adam, puts us in Christ. With that nature removed, what nature can come in? The Holy Spirit, the holy nature of God Himself comes and dwells in us. As soon as they got the revelation knowledge, the faith to put into Jesus, what happened to them when He laid hands on them? Holy Spirit filled them to overflowing. What overflowed out of them? Tongues and prophecy. These are the signs that show us you're filled with the Spirit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All right? Out of you shall flow rivers of living water. You know, I've been saying that all my life as a Christian, you know? Out of you know, uh, uh, out of you shall flow uh, rivers of living water, and I've always used that as an analogy of the Holy Spirit flowing out of us. But how does how does the Holy Spirit flow out of us? Speech. That's how He flows out of us. So there should be rivers of speech, rivers of anointing, rivers of us speaking out and demonstrating and declaring. The good things of God. That's the living waters that come out of us. The Word. How do people get saved? They hear the preaching of the Word, right? The Gospel. So, what I want to do, first of all, Luke introduces us to the power we receive through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm using the term baptism of the Holy Spirit, and this term in churches today is confusing. For many, let's start with the word baptism. How many of you know what baptism means? I saw Laura go like this. <laughs> exactly right, an immersion. It's covenant language, okay? When you are baptized, you are one object is immersed into another object, and the two become one, okay? And so, the Bible tells us that there are two baptisms that can take place. The first baptism is found in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that the Spirit of God baptizes us into Jesus Christ. We are baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why when we baptize somebody in water, we dunk them under the water to be immersed into the body of Jesus Christ. They come out a new creation. Okay? And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, historically and traditionally, theologically, when we use the term baptism of the Holy Spirit, for most Protestants, they're thinking of salvation. Because 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that the Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Salvation. Then Pentecostals came along in the 20th century, late 1900s into the, sorry, late 1800s into the 1900s, the 20th century. There's this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And people are getting so filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin prophesying, speaking in tongues, and people are trying to figure out, what is this outpouring of the Holy Spirit? We see it in Scripture, but we haven't seen it for years in the church. Now it's happening. What must it be? And they go, well, I think it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now this upsets some uh, folks that are more mainline denominated, Baptist, and so forth, because their understanding of baptism is salvation. Now the Pentecostals come along and say baptism is being baptized by the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues or prophesying. So this group over here is upset because 1 Corinthians 12 is about salvation. Are you telling us, you Pentecostal people, you have to speak in tongues and prophesy to be saved? No. We're talking about two different things. Pentecostals say, this is what we're talking about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus wants to immerse us into the Spirit of God. John one thirty three says, he shall come and baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. And so we're talking about a filling or an immersion in the Holy Spirit. So that's where the confusion comes in. A lot of people say, you don't have to speak in tongues and prophesy to be saved. And we would agree. Someone needs to turn that phone off, please. Whoever that is, shut it down. (laughs) And then, um, so, now we're talking about theologically what happens. We agree that the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the person of Jesus is salvation. The Spirit brings us into salvation. And Jesus now wants to immerse us into the life of the Spirit. And that filling of the Spirit manifests by an outflowing of our language. Does that make sense to you? Now, let's add some more confusion to this, shall we? Acts chapter 19. People look at this and hear the question of Paul. And Paul said, have you received since you believed? Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And now you got a group of Pentecostals saying, oh, see, you can be saved but not have the Holy Spirit yet. Is that true? Absolutely not. Oh, they do. No, this is a good, we're in for discussion. No, believe me, a lot of Pentecostal churches teach that. You haven't received the Holy Spirit yet, but I got saved. Yeah, you got saved, but you don't have the Spirit. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit, right? They believed. What did they believe in? John's baptism. They were not believing on Christ for salvation. So let's get the, let's get the, the theology correct. Okay? It's important, again, because of this verse, a number of churches and people have said you can be saved but not have the Holy Spirit. And that is a theological impossibility because salvation is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be saved without the Spirit coming in. So, Every person that puts their faith in the cross of Jesus Christ for their salvation receives the Holy Spirit in them. Okay? Now, they may not manifest too much maturity or understanding of Scripture or operation of gifts or anything else, but they're saved, which means you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right? We've seen people get saved and and still live in sin and be foolish and so forth. God will deal with that. But they're saved because of one thing. What? Faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Okay. Now, that would mean, pick a denomination. uh, Can a Presbyterian put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved and have the Holy Spirit in them? Methodist? Salvation Army? Uh, I'm thinking of different groups. <laughs> uh, Baptists? Pente- definitely. Okay. Pentecostals? Catholics? Okay. Yeah. So anybody that puts their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved. And once they've done that, the Spirit of God comes in them. All right. So this point about... Did you receive the Holy Spirit since you were saved? The problem with the scripture is it's not talking about saved people. These 12 were unsaved people. They only had John's baptism that they were trusting in. That's the key to understanding this scripture. Now, here's another way some people put it. Uh, you're, when you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit, but you need more of the Holy Spirit. So we pray so that you have more Holy Spirit. What about that one? So here's the point. The Holy Spirit is a person. So when you receive the person of the Holy Spirit, you don't get an arm or a leg, you know, and, and they, he builds his body in you later more and more. You get the full person of the Holy Spirit at salvation. Okay, little five-year-old boy prays to Jesus. That little boy gets the Holy Spirit in him, right? And and so forth. Uh, let's say a special needs person doesn't fully comprehend all the details of theology, doesn't understand end time eschatology or this or that. Can that special needs person be saved? Yeah, it's not based on IQ, is it? It's based on faith. It's not based on age. It's not based on performance. So we receive the Holy Spirit when we believe. We receive the full person of the Holy Spirit when we believe. The issue in this verse, I keep pointing to the screen, the issue of this verse is these were not saved people, so they didn't have the manifestation or presence of the Holy Spirit. So now that we got all that doctrine and theology straight... What we believe and what we're saying is at salvation, you receive the person of the Holy Spirit when you put your faith in Christ Jesus. You receive the fullness, the full person of the Holy Spirit. But we have to yield, as John the Baptist says, He must increase, I must decrease. We must allow the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to be released in our lives. Many people have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of tongues or prophecy because they've never been taught it's available. But once it began manifesting in its availability in the 20th century, which became the the 20th century as the century of the Spirit, it began to flood Pentecostal churches. The charismatic movements, it it went into Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Catholic churches, everywhere. People were manifesting the presence of the Spirit because now they were being taught what Scripture says is available. And that's happening as well with the manifestation of healing. Healing's increasing now in the church more and more because people are realizing it says it in the Word and we can pray for it. And so the prophetic is happening, the apostolic, and all of this is is coming back into the church because the church had blinders. So this baptism of the Holy Spirit is um, us allowing the Holy Spirit to manifest in our lives and to release. Now, I'm not going to go into a full teaching on how to uh, receive that baptism, that immersion, but what it is, is is it's a yielding. Most of the time, it happens through praise and worship. Why would it happen most of the time through praise and worship? Because you're open and you're being filled and you're magnifying Christ Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to magnify Christ. If you align yourself with that magnifying of Jesus, if he be lifted up, uh, the Spirit is poured out. And so as we praise him, we begin to lose words. I don't have enough English words to describe who he is. I, I, my intellect can only go so far, and then what happens is the Holy Spirit takes over. You don't go into some ecstatic weirdness and, and, and lose control or lose understanding, not at all. You're fully aware. But Paul says your mind's unfruitful because the language isn't coming from your mind. It's coming from your spirit. I like to use the example, uh, and then I'll move on because we have other things to talk about. But I like to use the example about laughing. You know, your mind is unfruitful typically when you're laughing. You're not controlling how you're laughing, are you? You don't go, I'm going to say three ha ha ha's, and then I'm going to put in two he hees. You don't do that. I heard some giggling. Where did that come from? Someplace other than your mind telling you what to say. How about when you're crying and sobbing, right? I'm going to go boo-hoo, wah-wah, and let some snot flow. No, you just pour out. Nobody has a problem with people crying and pouring out or people laughing. But then they say, oh, but if you speak in tongues, that's just, whoa. What do you mean your mind's not causing it? Because it's coming out of my spirit. Just like laughter comes out of me and sorrow comes out of me. So it's being used, letting the Holy Spirit use my mouth because my mind has come to a place where I can't express any further and the Holy Spirit can express. Or he'll give me thoughts that I'm expressing that are prophetic, that are words that edify, exhort, or comfort the body of Christ. We heard three words tonight, didn't we? We heard a tongue and an interpretation. And then we heard prophecies. All right, we're not, but my teaching tonight isn't about that. We'll make it another night, okay? But what, what happens here, this sets us up for what to realize that when you have the Holy Spirit, this isn't a joke, this isn't a game, and Christianity has stayed at, at, at 101. We need to be in college at this point, Right? and we need to be operating in the spirit realm. Paul comes into Ephesus, and he unleashes the Holy Spirit in the church. And guess what happens next? Trouble. The enemy hates Christians being filled with the power of God. Why does the enemy hate that? Because it destroys him. You're going to start ruining everything he's done, established himself in the city. So the next story we come to is the seven sons of Sceva. All right? Now, you can read this when you get home. So here we are in Ephesus. These 12 believers now start Speaking in tongues, prophesying, Paul spending two and a half years in Ephesus, he is wreaking havoc. He's unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving in the life of the church. They're prophesying, declaring, understanding the authority, resurrection power against all demonics and idols and so forth, and it's wreaking havoc. Well, there's these Jewish guys, There's seven sons of a fellow named Sceva. That's, I don't know if that's his, it's got to be his, that's his surname, right? So, bar sons of Skeva, and these seven sons see this power manifesting out of these Christians in Ephesus. They're laying hands on the sick, being recovered. They're casting out demons. Demons are fleeing. They go, this is awesome. I'm going to do this. They go, they get together, go, well, how does this happen? How do they do that? Well, every time I see it happen, they say, in the name of Jesus. Well, oh, okay, that's the magic. It's an incantation. You know how many churches use that like magic? Not understanding. It's not a tag on as if it's a, a magical word. If I just pray whatever I want to pray and say in the name of Jesus, I'm going to get whatever I want. It says so right in the Bible. Whatever you pray in Jesus' name, I'm going to get it. It doesn't work like that. It's relational. We'll get to that in a minute. So the seven sons of Sceva find this guy and he's manifesting demonically, and they all come to him and they go, in the name of Jesus, we cast this demon out. In the name of Jesus, you get out of him. Who knows the rest of the story? And so what did the demon say when it manifested? In the spirit realm, these boys weren't licensed. They had no authority. If they had no authority, authority from the throne room or from the kingdom of God, they were in the realm of the enemy. Lost people thinking they could move into the spirit realm. Do you know how many lost people are dabbling in the occult and in spiritual things from Ouija boards to horoscopes to uh, crystals to uh, all sorts of things where people are. and, And they'll see things happen and they'll think they're doing all right. That's because the enemy wants to keep them in there and blind. Jesus I know. Paul I know. Now let's ask ourselves the question, how did this demon know about Jesus? Okay, Bible says, good Bible quote, demons know Jesus and they tremble. Book of James talks to us about that. They understand the spirit realm. Remember, They left that place. All right? These are the same demons that left the presence of God. Okay, they understand who Jesus is. Now, how do you think they understand who Paul is? He showed up, and he's got authority and power. He's a guy who understands what the resurrection did. Is it because Paul had more power and anointing than any one of us? Are you sure? I mean, this is Paul. No different than you and I. In fact, go back to James again, and he says, Elijah was a man of like passion. I mean, same as we are, just people available to the Holy Spirit. The key here is understanding your identity, who you are in Christ, but also growing in the knowledge of the authority of the believer. And this is where the church lacks as well. We don't understand the authority we have to speak into the realm of the demonic. And you better understand it, all right? But the Holy Spirit will help you. So it says that they, the spirits leaped on them, mastered them, and overpowered them. The word for leaped here is like a leopard jumping on prey. So these things manifest in such a way where they literally tore their clothes off them and shredded them and those guys went out running. Now I don't know in the context of this was it the demons that did that or the person that had the, was the, the demons were in did he do it? I think it's a combination of both. Yeah, the demons and the person making the person act. But it also sounds like this is high-level demonology. This is like heavy-duty, to where these demons manifested physically in such a way that they wreaked havoc as well. And it says that they mastered seven of them. So either way you put it, you got one guy beating up seven people. How many of you remember the the demonic in the Garadines in the cemetery? It says they chained him, and what would he do with the chains? Break them. And Jesus had to wrestle him, didn't he? Jesus fought him and he beat Jesus up and Jesus got up. No, that didn't happen, did it? What did Jesus do? <laughs> Jesus didn't have to figure out who he was. <laughs> he knows. He spoke to those demons and they were gone. Because I, uh, they, they can be in people, but they are also outside of people. Now, as believers, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So don't start freaking out thinking that demons are going to... I've worked with folks who, who working with deliverance and casting out demons, don't want to because they're afraid that demon will jump on them and get in them. And you don't have to worry about that being sealed with the Holy Spirit unless you yourself are entrenched in some level of sin and show up in houses and scare people and do this we call them ghosts uh, uh, the poltergeists all these different things and they're physically manifesting and as I had said earlier there are some spirits that with people that are involved in the occult and entrenched in the demonic uh, can be sexually attacked physically attacked so can a demon physically attack someone I would say yes yes Let me ask you this, who rolled the stone away from the tomb? The angel. So if an angel can pick up a stone and throw it, aren't fallen angels able to do the same thing? All right, we got the seven sons of Sceva, kicked him out, right? So this tells us that the counterfeit can't do any work against the devil. But the real can. You're the real. You're the real deal. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and by the authority of Jesus Christ, you can cast out demons. The problem with most of us not casting out demons is we're ignorant of it. We need to learn and understand it and understand how it functions and operates. Some, of, some people would say, well, you don't have the gift for that. It's not a gift. It's an identity you are a son of God. Christ defeated the enemy, and so when you come against one, you need to understand your authority and how to hold your ground and how to speak against it. The number one reason people don't is because of what the devil does. He uses two things, fear and intimidation. So he scares you so that you're afraid of him and don't know what to do. Okay, but, uh, and then a lot of folks have filled their head with all the stuff they've watched in movies, right? So the devil just has to manifest in some way that he watched a movie and saw you get scared, and he'll do that too. I'll, we'll move on to the third story after this. Let me just give you an example. Um, the difference, and I, uh, you hear this a lot, maybe you've heard it already, but the difference between Dirty Harry and Barney Fife. I don't know if you all know who Barney Fife is, okay? So that's an old illustration. Some younger folks are going to go like, Barney Fife. All right, so Andy Griffith, Mayberry. All right, so both of them are police officers or enforcers. They both have the authority of the badge. So, And they both have power. Dirty Harry has a forty-four caliber. Barney Fife has a revolver with a bullet in his pocket. So they both have the authority to arrest. They both have the power to make it happen. But who's going to be afraid of Barney Fife when he comes and tries to find the bullet and shoots his foot off or Dirty Harry shows up and says, You feel lucky? <laughs> Doesn't bat an eye. I want us to be clean Harrys <laughs> in Jesus, but not flinching. And it's going to take experience to get there. Okay? But if you will learn not to be afraid... And and again, the enemy's going to do everything he can to make you afraid. This is where you have to be able to stand your ground, okay? And um, you will. You will. All right, let's go on. Now, I love this portion in verse 11. God was doing extraordinary miracles. As if a miracle is not extraordinary enough. I would like some mundane miracles. How about you? I don't need extraordinary. Can we just have some good miracles? Can we start there, please? Who wants miracles? Okay? Because this world needs miracles. People need miracles. They need deliverance. They need healing. We all need miracles. But what happened? Do you see how this story is going? He unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. People are filled, and by his teaching and instruction, it is so powerful, it's pulling down the demonic structure in that city to where people are trying to imitate the church and they can't, and it exposes the power the church has against the demonic. And now there's such extraordinary miracles. Why? Because there's an extraordinary outpour of the Holy Spirit. Extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit is where people begin to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. People believe what it says, as Abraham, he believed the Lord could do what he said he would do. This is where we've got to get to, people, so that we will see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this city and trust that God's going to do what He says He'll do. He says He'll heal. He says He delivers. He says He casts down demons. We can do this with the power of the Lord. Amen? So, Paula pointed out he did extraordinary miracles that he prayed over handkerchiefs and passed them out so that people could get healed. Now, let's consider the, the, the mechanics of this. Why did he have to do that in the first place? Because there were just so many people. Many times, if I call an altar call, I'm having in my mind, I'm going to pray for people who will lay hands, and, and I'll call for an altar call, and, and it'll be flooded. And it's like, okay, well, this is going to take a lot of time. So I'll pr- we'll pray over the whole group, okay? So consider hundreds, maybe thousands of people where Paul are at. We saw Jesus feed 5,000 in a crowd. What if 5,000 showed up, people who are sick, people who need healing, people who need deliverance? Paul can't get to them, all right? And he had Timothy, and he had Luke, and he had a few other people, but five or six isn't going to make a dent, Got a loud voice. But why pray on a cloth? This is extraordinary. With God, all things are possible. It puts the anointing on it. It's a touch point of faith. It's a touch point of faith. And sometimes it's just that simple. Now, this was an extraordinary Situation. And God has you manifest and do certain things because of extraordinary situations to do that. Could it be God is meeting people in the level of their understanding? It's manifesting, you know? And because how abstract would it be to these idol worshipers to say you must have faith to believe in something that happened 50 years ago in Jerusalem. You know, and, and would, would they be able to connect with that, or did they need to see a manifestation of power that was greater than what they were believing in? It's almost like a, an Elijah, you know, pour water on the thing, and I'll show you who's stronger. We got hands, hands, hands. Yes. Right, But as Jim's saying, we've got to be really careful because this cloth I can now hang in my house and pray to it, and we don't want that. And as Paul has said, we've seen abuses with this prayer cloth, right? And if you send in money, how much did Paul charge for these prayer cloths? See, this is where I got a problem. What do you? Send in, why do I have to send in money? for the prayers of the Lord. I saw with hands over here, yeah. Yeah, and we see this happening overseas. We see miracles, healings, and things, deliverances happening much more frequently overseas than here because they need those manifestations cuz they're dealing with demonics that are literally manifesting in their daily life and they need to see the power. Yeah. So these are faith and connecting points and touch points. Nothing wrong with them. They could lead to misunderstanding, definitely. But in certain situations, they are necessary. Let me give you a perfect example. I got a call yesterday of someone dying in intensive care, and no one can go see them. And so I called the hospital and said, I'm the pastor. I need to get in. This person's dying. Can I see them? They said, "No." said, "Look it, I got all the credentials, all the stuff you want me to have in the ma- all. No. So in COVID times, it might not be a bad idea to pray over a cloth and get the cloth in to somebody. So extraordinary miracles, extraordinary times. Are you seeing what's going on in this city? It's pretty amazing. So now we come to the big guns. The money. The money. So the last one we come to is it was happening in the demonic, in, this, in, the, in the earth realm. The church got filled with the Spirit. Those 12, 12's the number of governmental authority. It's no mistake that there were 12 that got filled with the Spirit prophesying speaking in tongues because that represents the authority of the kingdom the authority of the church is cut loose it's causing all sorts of havoc in the demonic realm and that kind of demonic being thwarted by the power and now unleashing extraordinary miracles it is messing up that city and that culture for Jesus hallelujah and guess what happens the principalities over that city are ticked and there was one major principality over that city it was artemis also known as diana a comet had fallen years ago in ephesus some rock had fallen from the sky they saw the tail and the light and the fire and it hit the earth and oh a god has arrived and so they set up this temple for Artemis. They set up this temple for Diana. And she was the, the one who brought health to the crops and fertility. And we need her in an agricultural society. You need good crops and good livestock and healthy. You need to be having babies. So fertility is a huge thing, okay? So she becomes this idol for fertility. but And so everybody's upset as they... Uh, the guys that carved the idols because what's happening to their business and so people get upset when they are losing money and they're mad and they want to come against Paul because as they say Paul deposed Diana from her magnificence in other words I don't need this stupid carving of a woman. Paul told me about a living God that I saw my neighbor get healed and my Aunt Gladys and myself delivered from demons. Forget about this idol worship, right? And it's happening throughout the whole city. Ephesus is being turned around for God. Amen? Now, you're all adults, and plus this is archaeology, that's Diana, the many-breasted one. So that's a goddess of fertility. Okay? And it says, Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that God made with hands are not gods. Pretty crazy, isn't it? These people believed it. Now what happens when truth comes in? Breaks all lies. When light comes in, it breaks darkness. So they came against him. Now Paul's uh, brothers and sisters and friends said, Paul, don't go out. A mob had formed. And Paul was ready to go out there and preach. This was the same guy, remember, last week who didn't want to go out and preach and get beat up. But something happens when you're in the midst of the manifestation of God and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You're like, come on, I can take on anything. And they're saying, Paul, come on back. We don't want you to go through that again. And so someone else came and said, look, let's not, let's not do this. And calm the crowd down and left. Paul's going to move on. My whole point tonight is this. Luke tells us a story about Ephesus. He talks about the authority of the church being unleashed in a city, them being filled with the Spirit, not just doing their devotions, not just going to church on Sundays. These were people filled with the Spirit, proclaiming the gospel, praying and prophesying and ministering in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that's available to every believer. Lives were changed. Demonics were being cast out and loosed. Extraordinary move of God. We've seen extraordinary moves of God in American history. If it happened once, how many of you know it can happen again? To such a realm where it impacted the principalities over to where it changed the city economically, it changed the city socially, it changed the city spiritually. Do you think we could, do you think we need that? Do we need something affecting our economy? Do we need something changing our culture? Do we need something spiritually to happen? Yes. How about just in your house? So tonight I just want to pray and and close with us taking authority. We're going to take authority over the principalities of the air. We're going to take authority over the demonic in the earth. And we're going to make ourselves available to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Amen? Amen. Stand with me. Old and New Testament, 365 times we have been told not to fear. Fear not. 365 days in the year, 365 times do not fear. Reminds me of my buddy David Tucker. That's right. Come on, everybody, let's stand up. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray. I pray for this body of believers, Lord God. I pray for each one of us. I pray for Christ Community Church, everyone in this room right now and those who attend this church, that, Father, we would yield ourselves to your authority. Holy Spirit, we are inviting you to fill us to such a place of overflowing. Whatever has been in us to block you, we're asking you to release it. Lord God, whatever has caused us in our thinking or in our emotions to keep you from unleashing more power and releasing what is in us, Outward, then Lord, break it down, move it out, and pour like rivers of water, rushing water, Lord God, that is alive, that we would speak forth with our understanding and we would speak forth in spirit language. We would sing with understanding and we would sing in the spirit. We would speak in the spirit. We would speak what your spirit is saying to us. We would move under the unction of your spirit when you move us wherever we are to touch or to call out or to say something. We will say it. We will be obedient and let faith rise we will lay hands on the sick we will prophesy in your name we will cast out demons god use us as we yield to you right now mark us as a people willing and ready to be used by the holy spirit flood out of us holy spirit right now we pray in jesus name come Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, exalt Him. Say something with your mouth. Declare something good to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am telling you, you need to get used to speaking verbally. Reread the Word of God. Every praise is to come out of your mouth. Every word is to be spoken. We're not speaking enough in church and out of church. Please get used to worshiping God verbally and audibly. Please, please, please. It's the number one hindrance. You're shutting the door on the move of the Spirit by not speaking. So speak. Do this in your car when you're driving. Do it at home. Speak with your voice the will of the Lord. Father, we thank You for it. Amen. Amen. Come on, shout to God today. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord Jesus, we pray against the demonic realm that is round about us, near our homes, familiar spirits that are trying to come near us, tempt us. We cast them down in Jesus' name. We take every spirit captive in the authority of Christ. Lord God, we speak and say, no more at my house. Stay away from my family. Stay away from my door. Stay away from my ears. Stay away from my job. Stay away from everything that is near me, I cast you down, and I put a hedge of protection through the bloodline of Jesus Christ and warring angels to protect my property, my household, and my life in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen.